John chapter 5, and let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your goodness to us, your blessings, your guidance, your protection. Lord, I wouldn't want to live and couldn't live without you with me every step of the way. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you'd help every one of us to learn what it means to live in covenant and in fellowship with our God. That's not the subject matter tonight, but it just I, I want to stop and thank you for that. But as we look into the Bible, I pray that you would give us some truths tonight that will make us productive for thy glory, please. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I love this miracle. One of the things that just blows my mind, you've heard me say this before, is that Jesus walked in among a great crowd of sick and lame and diseased people, and he walked up to one man, healed him, and walked away from the rest. Now, I don't celebrate that he walked away from the rest. But it's amazing to me that God was working in the life of one man that day. And that one man was to be the target of God's grace. And Jesus knew exactly how to find that man. And he walked in, healed that man. And then it, it even says that he doesn't say snuck, but it, it says he conveyed himself out, which basically he snuck. He snuck out because there was a multitude there. As soon as the multitude figured out, I'm sure, hey, we're, hey, this guy's been here for a long time and he's just walking away. Can't, where, what happened to you? Did the angel come unexpected? What, what's going on? Oh boy, imagine how they would have mobbed Jesus if he had been there. And so Jesus just snuck out and then followed up on the fellow later. Well, the Jews found out about it, the Jewish leaders. That's not a racist statement. That is a, a statement about the Jewish religion. The Jewish religious leaders found out about it, and they said, no, no, no. We can't have this, this healing, this miraculous life-changing going on outside of the codes. We have some codes here, and you cannot. First of all, this guy shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath day and the guy that he healed shouldn't be carrying his bed out on the Sabbath day. And so they immediately wanted to know who did this. And the man found Jesus, or actually Jesus found him. And he thought it would be good news. Hey, they wanted to know who healed me. So let me go back and find them and tell them the good news. I found the man who healed me. It's Jesus of Nazareth. But it wasn't good news to them. To them, it was just, okay, now we know who to investigate. As we proceed with our investigation, we know that we're looking. Our suspect is Jesus of Nazareth. And look what it says in verse number 16. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Let me stop and say, folks, when we perceive that somebody else is having more influence for God than we are, 
for whatever reason, now, you ought to stay out of the comparison business anyway. Maybe God has some, a work for somebody else to do that he doesn't have for you to do. Some of the greatest works that have ever been done have been one-on-one discipleship over a period of many years. Maybe God has one person for you to reach, and you shouldn't worry that this person over here is reaching 100 people, and God only seems to give you influence on this one person. Get out of the comparison business. However, when you do sense that, hey, that, that guy has something that I don't have. That, that lady, she just, she, she just has a, the touch of God that I don't have. Don't respond like these religious leaders did and said, I've got to figure out a way to stop her. That's what they're essentially saying. No. The, the wise Pharisees, and a few of them did undercover, the wise Pharisee would have said, he's got something that we haven't had around here in a long time. He's got the touch of God. And that's essentially what Nicodemus said. Excuse me. We know that thou art come from God because no man can do these miracles that you're doing except God be with him. That's what they all should have been doing. But instead, they said, hey, we've got no power. He's got power. We've got to stop him. Crazy. Crazy the way we respond when our hearts aren't right. And so they sought to persecute and slay Jesus. But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, that's a very interesting statement, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our uh, time tonight for just a few minutes. What was Jesus saying? My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Let me broaden that and, and try to show you everything that Jesus was saying there. I haven't gone ahead of my father. That's what they were accusing him of doing. I mean, how can you rebuke somebody for doing what God was doing, for performing the work of God? How can you rebuke somebody for partnering with God and fulfilling God's will? So Jesus was saying, I haven't gone ahead of my father. He worked up to this point, and so did I. He's saying, I haven't lagged behind my father. He worked up to this point, and so did I. I have worked 100% in partnership with my father. And that's the thought tonight that we're going to focus on, partnering with God. To serve in such a way that every effort we make to influence people, that every effort we make to make a difference, we are doing so in sync with God. Now, none of us will ever be 100% in sync like Jesus was. Jesus never varied in his partnership with God. Not one little iota of an inch. I don't even know if inches have iotas, but that's what came out. So I'm going with it. Not one little iota of an inch. Jesus did not vary from his father one little bit. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 1 says that. 
that uh, Jesus was the precise engraving of the character of God into a human body. Jesus always did what God the Father would do. Why? Because Jesus was God the Son. So, he's saying, I haven't gone ahead of my Father. I haven't lagged behind my Father. I have worked 100% in partnership with my Father. You and I will never work as perfectly in sync with God the Father as Jesus did, but we ought to strive to come as close as we possibly can. The statement teaches us several things. First of all, it teaches us that we can do nothing without God. Look at verse number 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he doeth, these also doeth the Son. Now listen, if Jesus couldn't do anything without the Father, do we really think that we can? Of course, we can go to John 15 and talk about Jesus said, My father is the husbandman, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And just as Jesus tapped into or was in perfect sync with his father, we need to be in perfect sync with Jesus. And he said so, abide in me. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Without me, ye can do nothing. But if Jesus could do nothing without his father. What makes us think that we can accomplish anything without God? What makes us think we can win a single soul if God's not in it? What makes us think if we can see anybody's life changed if God isn't in it? What makes us think that we can see anybody or any place transformed For God's glory. Why is it that we think if we just try a little harder, if we just work a little harder, if we just shout a little louder, if we just do a little more, we'll see more happen? Now, I believe in working hard, and I believe that you're going to accomplish more if you knock on 100 doors than you are if you knock on 10 doors. But the fact of the matter is, there's more is going to happen in 10 doors with God than 100 doors without God. Without me, ye can do nothing. So Jesus says the son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the father do. So the statement that Jesus made, my father worketh hitherto and I work, tells us that we can do nothing without God. It also tells us that we must not try to move ahead of God. This was the accusation that you are proceeding on your own. They didn't say that, but that is the essence of their accusation because they would not have accused God of wrongdoing, even though they were accusing God of wrongdoing. They would not have blatantly accused God of wrongdoing. So what they were saying essentially was, you've gone farther than God would permit you to go. And Jesus said no. I have not gone ahead of God. And he's telling us we must not go ahead of God. So how is it possible, Pastor, for us to try to go ahead of God? Well, let me stick with this story here for starters. A lot of us would have walked into the pool of Bethesda, not into the pool, but into that area by the pool of Bethesda and said, look at all these people. We, hey, we've got to reach as many of these people as we can. And yet it was God's plan to only reach one of them 
that night. Why? I don't know. That's not my jurisdiction. But we look and we say, this is, we've got to reach them all. Now, it's never inappropriate to witness. I shouldn't say that. There are times where it's not appropriate to witness, like when you're on the clock getting paid to do work. But I'm saying we don't have to fear that we're going to tell too many people about Jesus. That's a better way of saying it. We don't have to fear that we're going to witness to too many people. We're not going to stand before God and say, you know, you were just way too zealous in how many people you told about Jesus. But I'll tell you what we can do if we're not careful is we can try to play Holy Spirit. That if the person for whatever reason, is not ready to get saved or doesn't want to hear it, that we feel like that if we run them into the ground, somehow we will persuade them to get saved. Listen, you're not going to persuade anybody to get saved. Either the Spirit of God is going to do it or it's not going to be done. Let me remind you that a good car salesman, saved or lost, could get a, a person to pray a prayer. I'll say that again. A talented, a skilled car salesman could get somebody to pray a prayer. And sometimes we're, we're so, and, and maybe the intention is good, I'm burdened for this person, so let me see if I can scare him into getting saved. Let's see if I can guilt him into getting saved. Let me see if I can make him so sick of me being at his doorstep that he goes ahead and caves and prays. Then if he goes to hell, it's his problem. Well, that's wrong. That's wrong. We need to be sensitive. I'm going to get to this. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and realize this person's not buying into it today. So I'm going to leave him with something that the Spirit of God can use to burn in his heart. Maybe a verse of Scripture. Maybe a probing question. Maybe simply the gospel tract. Say, you know what? When you get a chance, could you read this? Because I'm telling you, this is life or death. But to say, you know, if I just push a little bit harder, if I just get a little bit more obnoxious, you're running ahead of God. The Spirit of God is the one that's going to break him. So we can do nothing without God. We must not try to move ahead of God. Remember what the children of Israel did. First, they were lagging behind God at Kadesh Barnea. We talked about it a few weeks ago in Sunday school. We don't want to get God. God's saying going in. God says we're going in. And said, we don't want to go in. It's going in there. It's nice in there. And God said, okay, guess what? You got your wish. You're not going in. You're going to die in the wilderness. That's what you said you wanted. That's what's going to happen. And now all of a sudden, wait a minute. We want to go in. With or without God, we're going in. So first, they're not keeping up with God. Now they're wanting to run ahead of God. And they all died. Jesus is saying here, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. He's saying, I haven't gone ahead of my father, fellas. I haven't lagged behind my father. I have worked 100% in partnership with my father. His statement teaches us that we can't do anything without God. It teaches us that we should not try to move ahead of God, but it also teaches us that we must strive to not lag behind God. If God wants something done, we should want to do it. If there is somebody that God wants us to witness to, even if it makes no sense to us, we should approach that person. 
You know, I did that once, and I thought it was the moving of the Holy, Holy Spirit, and that person just flat out rejected the tract. doesn't mean that God didn't prompt you. You don't know how many times something you said or did or a tract that you put in somebody's hand causes them to walk away. And while they're walking away cursing God on the inside, something that somebody said to them years ago, maybe they're Christian parents or somebody, is nagging at them. And the Holy Spirit takes the fact that he was approached by one more Christian and he eats at him. And it doesn't sleep that night. You never know. You never know. But don't walk away and say, oh, I, I thought the Spirit of God was saying go witness to him. And I went uh, when we were, we were uh, in the city. I won't tell the whole story. We were in the city uh, back in, in May. And uh, we were out on the street. It was around midnight. And uh, the, the, we, we, were, we were in a crowd. And uh, Amy said, I just felt like the Spirit of God was telling me. We had, we had sort of um, gotten to know this guy who was also in the crowd. We were give and take with him. And, and uh, Amy said, the Spirit of God just told me, you need to give this guy a track. So she took, pulled out a track and went over and said, uh, hey, would you read this when you get a chance? And he wasn't unkind, but he said, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. And she was, she was disappointed. We walked away. She said, man, I was, I was sure that God was prompting me to give him a track. And I said, if you were sure God was prompting you to give him a track, he probably was. <laughs> it wasn't the devil that was prompting you to give him a gospel track. But we don't know. We don't. I think there's going to be so many surprises at the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be so many surprises where we go, whoa, that guy did get saved. Whoa, that Boy, that time I witnessed and I was so embarrassed and I felt that I was the, I did the assist there. You know what assist is in basketball? You're not the guy that shot the basket. You passed it to the guy who shot the basket. You were the last person to witness to him before he finally did get saved. Only you didn't have the privilege of winning him to Christ. So I'm saying we must strive to not lag behind God. God has come to work in a certain place with a certain person. He's doing something special. And we must strive to partner with him to get it right. Number four, something else we learned from this statement. When Jesus said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Number four, we must seek to partner with God. Do you know that that's what supplication means? Supplication means, it means cadence. It means to fall into cadence with God. How many of you ever marched in cadence for some event or something? You, you, you had to line up left, right, left, right with somebody. You know what I'm talking about, okay? It's, it's tricky. I did in third grade as a Cub Scout. It's not easy. And um, there was the Bicentennial Parade. I remember we, we, were, we marched in the Bicentennial Parade, 1776. And it's It's tricky. That's what supplication means. I want to fall into cadence with God, and you do that on your knees. You'll notice supplication is always teamed up. It's always coupled up with prayer. We will do far more for God if we're always seeking to be in cadence with God. Next Sunday afternoon, you know that. You know the routine now. This is our 18th one. We have served the meal, and I've made my fourth announcement that Eat all you can. You're going, okay, it's about time. He's going he's gonna to sing soon. He's going to have somebody sing, and then we're going to get into the gospel. 
and you, you look around and you're interacting with people, it might not be a bad time to say, Lord, who needs for me to talk to them? Who needs somebody to just love them? Hey, what's your name? Are you from Danbury? Is this your first Sunday dinner? Oh, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. And you tell them your name, and we're so glad that you came today. Hey, is there anything I can pray about with you? And you don't probe too deep, you don't push too hard, but I tell you what, when you give people the opportunity to tell what's on their heart, you might be surprised what they'll, what they'll share with you. And it just blesses them to meet somebody who cares what their need is. Lord, show me who that person is. Show me who that person is. Look, we've all tried to be a blessing to people and utterly failed. And go, man, I'll never do that again. I feel like a fool. But ask God to show you. Lord, who needs a blessing today? Who needs encouragement today? We must seek to partner with God to fall in cadence with him. I remember my father-in-law telling the story. We were, we were, I think we were down at Elmer's. That's always a safe bet to guess that that's where we were. And, uh, Brother Tony Hudson was there, and somebody else was at the table, I'm not sure who, and my father-in-law and our family. And Brother Tony and the other preacher were telling Carl Hatch stories. Now, if you ever get a chance to listen to people tell Carl Hatch stories, you don't want to miss that. That's, 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 a great, that's a great event right there, to hear somebody tell stories. But Carl Hatch is uh, one of the great soul winners of the last generation, and he always found these unique ways. My favorite one, in fact, it's the only one that comes to the top of my mind immediately, is uh, stepping into an elevator, and uh, somebody says to him, Oh, mister, I love the, I love the smell of that uh, cologne. What is that? And his answer was, that's eternity. You want some? And uh, that leads right into telling them how to get some eternity. By the time they get to their spot, they've got a tract in their hand, and he's told them how to get some eternity. I love the line that, uh, that uh, and Brother Tony told this one, about him, uh, for some reason, they were on the property of a Catholic university or a Catholic school of some sort. I don't know why they were there, Brother Hatch and some preacher. And there, were, there was a nun sitting there by a fountain. And Brother Hatch just walked up to her and said, Hey, sister. He said, How'd you like to go to heaven? Straight shot. No purgatory. <laughs> and she said, Huh? He said, Oh, yeah, I can tell you how. And uh, opened up the Bible, told her how to be saved, and she prayed and trusted Christ. So... Brother Tony's just telling these stories, and we're just laughing. It's just, just incredible. Brother Hatch was just amazing. And my father-in-law, he said, you know, he said, um, I was in a church one time, and Brother Hatch was preaching. And he said the pastor took him out soul winning. And he said, uh, it wasn't going so well. And the pastor said, uh, he said, Brother Hatch, he said, I want you to, he said, I've heard a lot of stories about how you just, uh, you know, you, you, you create these great opportunities. Could, could you do one of those? Brother Hatch said, uh, he said, you don't understand. He said, when that happens, it's spur of the moment and it's led of the spirit. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, but you're so good at it. He said, could you just do one of those? And Brother Hatch kept trying to tell him that when that happens, it's of God. I don't make that up. And finally, the pastor pressed and pressed, and they were out in a crowd, and Brother Hatch 
tried to do something just to please the pastor, and it totally failed. And uh, they were embarrassed. Why? Because it wasn't led of the Spirit. He was, and, and I, think, I think Brother Hatch did it to try to prove a point to the pastor. It wasn't that he caved to pressure. Is that, you know, i got to show this guy something. Either God's in it or he's not. And, and I'm saying to you that we could see God do some great things if we would understand when God is working and then get in on it. Can you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? And we're going to see an incredible statement. I'm going to be a couple points and we're going to be done. Luke chapter 5. Just amazing statement here. Don't you assume that Jesus just had the healing touch and everywhere he went, it just, he just sort of healed randomly? This verse seems to indicate something else. Chapter 5 of Luke and verse 17. It came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, the very clear conclusion that you have to draw there is that there were times when the power of the Lord was not there, not, was not present to heal. Isn't that the conclusion that you, not that you can safely draw, but that you must draw? That there were times, for whatever reason, that the power of the Lord was not present to heal. Say, well, I don't understand that. Well, it makes sense if you go back to John chapter 5 and you hear what Jesus says when he says, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. If my Father's not in it, it won't happen. And the only way this man gets healed and he takes up his bed and he walks is if my father is in it. So your accusation is not against me, it's against my father. We must seek to partner with God. So how do we do that? Well, I am not going to pretend to be the master of it, but I will look at the times in my life where I can say, whoa, something special happened there. And just give you a few thoughts and scripture thoughts. Number one, obey his instructions. Look at what the Bible tells us to do and realize if you're just following those instructions in general, you're not going to do too many of those things. You're not going to pass out too many tracts. You're not going to intercede for people too much. You're not going to witness to too many people. You don't have a quota. You know, it's not like hunting. All right, you reached your limit. You're, you're out of control. Stop. You're not going to witness to too many people. You're not going to feed too many hungry people. So follow God's instructions. He gives us instructions of what we're supposed to be doing. What are we supposed to be doing as Christians? We're supposed to be preaching the gospel. And we're supposed to be helping those who get saved grow in grace. We're supposed to be praying for people. There's a number of things that God says to do, and there's absolutely no limit to how much of that we should be doing. So obey his instructions and then bathe every effort in prayer. Can we admit it, folks? That's where we miss the boat. That's where we fall short. 
We think that us merely doing is going to get the job done. But do you realize that Jesus went about doing good, but he spent his nights in prayer? How is it that Jesus could pray all night or a good part of the night or get up a great while before day to pray? And the Bible says all three of those things at various points. And we think that we're just going to go out and witness to people and they're just going to get saved. So I, it just, it just isn't, it just isn't happening today like it used to happen. Well, the one thing's for sure, we're not praying like we used to pray. We're not, the church of God is not praying like it used to pray. Bathe every effort in prayer. Oh, God, work. Oh, God, come down and work. Herein is our lack of faith. We believe we can do it on our own. We would never admit that. We would never disagree with Jesus. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. We would never stand up and say, that's not true. But our actions say that we don't agree with that. We think that we can win the lost without God's help. We think that we can reach people for Christ without God's help. You want to change your influence for God? Begin by changing your prayer life. God, use me. God, use me to reach the lost for thy glory. God, use me, please. Bathe your efforts in prayer. Would you please pray for the Sunday dinner every day this week? It's an awful lot of work. It's a lot of extra money. It's all your sacrifice for the last three months. Every, you know, I will take a bag of canned goods or a bag of, of um, cereal and, and stock it away on those shelves. And as I do, I picture you getting your groceries for the week and saying, no, I need to get ten cans. I need to get three boxes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I don't go down and see. And I, if you want to buy 50 boxes of cereal, that's okay. But I've never gone down and seen an indication that somebody's going out and buying 50 boxes of cereal. I mean, that's, that's a few hundred dollars right there. But I love it when I see three boxes of cereal in a bag tied shut. Two boxes, one box, five boxes. Why? Because it reminds me that you went to get your groceries and you went down your list and as you're thinking about feeding your family, you say, now nah, I've got to pick up a couple of boxes for the, for the Sunday dinner. I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see your sacrifice go to waste. So let's bathe it in prayer. God, please work. God, please bless those, those bags that Roseanne buys every time. Behold the love of God. I love it that behold the love of God goes all over Danbury. I love it that for a few days after the Sunday dinner, if you drive through town, you'll see those orange bags testifying, behold the love of God. But we ought to bathe those bags in prayer so that the message behold the love of God can go a whole lot further and with a whole lot more power than just our efforts. Obey his instructions. Bathe every effort in prayer. Number three, follow the Spirit's leading. Would you look again at verses 19 and 20? The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. Wait a second, I love that. 
How did Jesus find that one man in a multitude? He saw something. The father opened his eyes and he saw something. He saw something. I want my eyes opened to see something. We were soul winning, I don't know, a year or two ago. And I dropped everybody off and I was parking the bus. And I had the card in my hand that was telling me the doors that I was going to. But I got off the bus and God opened my eyes and I saw something. I saw what looked to be just a pile of blankets and boxes. But then I saw it move. And I said, let me go over there and see what, what's, what's over there. There was a man named Jim underneath that pile of boxes and blankets. And I was there for probably 20, 25 minutes. Jim trusted Christ as Savior. I praise the Lord that I saw something. Now, you say, well, that wasn't spiritual insight. No, maybe it wasn't spiritual insight. But God opened my eyes to see something that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have otherwise seen. Just It was a pile of blankets, and there was a guy under there. Follow the Spirit's leading. Verse number 20. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. I want God to show me where that person is. We often say when we go out soul winning, I'm looking, we're looking for the people that are looking for God. Actually, we say we're looking for the person who's looking for God. I want to find that one, that one who's been searching, that one who's been weeping, that one who's been saying, God, show me the way. And I have to tell you, it doesn't happen often, but when it happens, there's nothing sweeter in the world than to hear somebody say, I was just praying this week, that God would send me somebody that could tell me the truth because I'm so confused. Oh, man. When you get that, it's like you've struck gold, isn't it? It's like you say, oh, man, this is, this is what I've been after. That person that said, I was just saying this week, God, show me something. You better, you better pay attention then because you know you're on a big-time appointment right then. A Thursday night, I mentioned this, probably mentioned a couple times already today, but it was so, it was so powerful. Thursday night, the Lord uh, laid on my heart a very unusual message. I was the first speaker. The, the first speaker's job is to, is to prime the pump, and the second speaker is the main speaker. And so I preached on a subject that just doesn't really go with youth conferences, and that is falling in love with God. But when I go to preach at any kind of a youth meeting, youth camp, we, anything like that, I just always go back to what God had did in my heart years ago. And um, I'm feeling all of a sudden like I told this. Oh, I did before the message this morning, told the story about falling in love and Mrs. Morrison and so forth. But I preached a message of falling in love with Jesus. I kept it as short as I could got done we gave an invitation they had a break to go use a bathroom and the next preacher got up and uh, he did something that is just absolute humility and and yieldedness to the holy spirit he got up and he said you know he said uh, i have a message prepared that is different than what the brother vasic preached but he said we need to stay in that same 
vain, that same line of thought about falling in love with Jesus. So all I'm going to do, he said, if you don't mind, Brother Vasek, I'm going to add one more point to your message. He took about 20 minutes. He gave us a Bible truth. He told us a personal story. They both lined up. They both lined up with the message. He gave an invitation. The altar was filled. But just like Jesus To me, this is, from my perspective, just like Jesus walking in by the pool of Bethesda and focusing in on that one person, the spotlight of heaven shone down on the third or fourth row where we were sitting, and sitting right next to Catherine was Quinn, who has come to church here on and off for years. Because of her situation, she can't be here every week, but she's here from time to time, and uh, over the years, she's, she's come since she was a very little girl. And now she's old enough to go to youth activities. And the light of heaven shone down on Quinn. And she leaned over to Catherine and she said, in all these years of coming to church, I don't ever remember getting saved. And she and Catherine kneeled by the chair there and Catherine showed her how to get saved. All the planning, all the work, all the prayer, everything that went into Thursday night, and there's a lot of man hours, a lot of money, a lot of work that goes into a meeting like Thursday night. And I hope it blessed a lot of people, and I think it did. But from where I sit, it was all for her benefit, for her to get saved. There was an appointment Thursday night. There was a, an event Thursday night, and I praise the Lord. Listen, if, if, if Brother Shirley, the second, Shirley's his last name, um, if Brother Shirley, the second preacher, had just said, all right, that's, that's good, but we need to go a different direction, he may not have wound up giving a salvation invitation. And the Spirit of God may not have been in that crowd as, as heavy as he was. And Quinn's heart might not have been touched. To, you know, when you, when you need to get saved and you know it and you're a kid in that kind of a climate, sometimes it's just a matter of, I don't want to bother anybody with this. I don't want to go through the, for the lack of a better word, I don't want to go through the hassle of getting saved. And I've been there. I know that feeling. I don't want to stir things up. I don't want to interrupt what everybody's got going on just for me to get saved. But because the preacher was sensitive to the Spirit of God, I mean, it was, it was a slow, underhand pitch And it was a cinch for her to swing the bat and get saved. Praise the Lord for that. What what is God wanting to do through you if you will partner with God? Let's bow for prayer. Father, tonight.